yeah, this morning what I wanted to do was this, is I just had some stuff stewing in my heart and in my mind coming out of the book of Joshua, and we've wrapped it up. We're going to go into Judges, but we're going to take a couple weeks before we get there till after Thanksgiving. And, um, and so this morning what I thought, ah, you know, I'm just, I actually felt it like from the Lord for a couple weeks, just, just wrap on some of this stuff in Joshua. And so that's what I thought I would do today. So you can go to Joshua chapter 22, and um, it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to bounce around a lot this morning, so you're not going to be able to keep up but uh, <laughs> with turning pages, but it'll be on the screen, and you can start with me in, in Joshua chapter 22, okay? So let's just pray as we come to God's, God's Word and consider some things this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your Word. I thank you, God, that, that you speak to us. What an amazing thing that the creator of the universe, the one who formed us in our mother's womb, didn't just form us and then abandon us. He sent his son, Jesus, to save us. <laughs> he speaks to us. He's given us the spirit, Lord. You've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, a deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance, the things that are to come. And Lord, you've given us your word. And what a gift it is, Lord, that we're not alone that we haven't been abandoned, that you haven't left us here to flail on our own, Lord, but you have given many convincing proofs of your truth and of your reality in our lives, and you speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, just your word this morning would shape our hearts, shape our values, shape our worldview, that uh, we would be comforted, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened as we think on who you are and how you speak to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Joshua, as we've seen, like over the you know, six months we were cruising through here, we've seen that Joshua you know, recounts the movement of God's people into the land of promise, uh, out of the wilderness as they enter into the inheritance that God had for them. I, I just have to point out that I'm really jealous of the Pasquitches with that big jug of coffee right there. Is that coffee? It's tea? That is brilliant. Everyone should see that right there and do it, okay? Because I like a pot. I, I need one of those for myself right there, okay? So, okay, so sorry. I got distracted. I just saw this glow over there. <laughs> Right on. So Joshua just recounts the movement of God's people as they enter into their inheritance and take hold of all that God had promised their forefathers. And we've seen this, you know, coming out of the wilderness, crossing the Jordan, conquering this land, uh, defeating these enemies and, and receiving everything that the Lord had for them. And we said this all along through the book of Joshua, that it was great illustrations of the truth and the principles of the Spirit-led life, of entering into the promises of God and receiving um, all that God has for us and just promised land living. I used that term a lot as we were going through the book of Joshua. And so I, I've been thinking for a number of weeks on something that struck my own heart in Joshua chapter 22, and I didn't understand it. So I actually like didn't talk about it on the sermon when we were going through Joshua 22, I thought, I, I don't understand why that's there. That kind of, that's interesting. So let me, let me recount for you Joshua 22, just real quick, give it a synopsis, and then we'll look at something in here. So Joshua 22 tells the story of 
uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, we remember that two and a half of those tribes had received an inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But Moses instructed them that they were to cross the Jordan River with their nine and a half uh, siblings of the other tribes. Remember, one tribe got land on both sides of the river, but they were to cross over and they were to help defeat the inhabitants of the land. And when those nine and a half tribes had received their inheritance, the two and a half would be released and they could return to the land east where their families were and they could settle and build a life there. And so Joshua chapter 22, we get to this amazing part in the story where these very things have happened. The land is, the enemies have been defeated and Joshua releases them. Remember, you may remember, I called the message five smooth stones and he gave them five instructions that were specific to returning to the land. But when they went, they did this. They built an altar at the Jordan River and then they proceeded to go home. And when their brothers, their Israelite brothers and sisters heard that they had built this monument They questioned what was going on and they accused their siblings across the river of idolatry and worshiping other gods. And so they prepared for war to go against brother against brother. And so in the midst of that, they formed a delegation. They used some wisdom. They sent a man named Phineas. We talked about Phineas, the the priest. He was going to become the high priest after the death of his father. Phineas had a reputation for holiness, for a heart after God, for dealing with sin amongst God's people. So Phineas went with a delegation of 10 leaders from the tribes of Israel, and they uh, consulted with these two and a half tribes, and the tribes said, no, 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 far be it from us that we should turn from the Lord. We built this monument, this altar, as a monument, as a testimony, as a witness to you and to us that we serve God. And should in the generations to come, you turn from serving God or you accuse us of turning from serving God, this monument will remind us we're all, we serve the living God and we're part of the tribes of Israel. And so Phineas, everybody was happy with this. So he brings back report. Now check it out. We'll go to Joshua 22. We're going to read verse 32. It says this. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel And they brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of God were settled. And you know, as I was just like diving into this and digging and preparing, these verses struck me because I thought, this is weird. It's like Phineas brought back a word but the text says it was good in their eyes. Why is the word good in their eyes? Like, what's that about, Lord? What's going on in that? And and I I just thought, wow, I mean, wouldn't you think the word is good in your ears? But it says it was good in their eyes. Tuesday morning um, after that, we were here with the guys and we were kicking it around a little bit. And we were talking about this, how the, the world is coming at us constantly at our eyes. Boom, we're being bombarded. You know this, man. I, uh, just messaging, videos, everything, TV, value systems are being pressed upon us all the time. And it's like, it's coming out of sight, 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 into your eyes, into your eyes, into your eyes. And we were talking about this. And I pointed out this verse to these guys. And as we were praying that morning, the Lord 
the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. And he said, here's what happens. If you get a word from me, I will correct your vision. As, as you are bombarded with this world, a word from me will do this. It will fix your eyes. It will bring vision correction so you properly look at the world. And so this morning, I, I just want to talk a little bit about that, bat it around a little bit. Um, the importance of inside-out living. Inside-out living versus what the world is doing to us. It's shaping us from the outside. But we want to be those who have the values of the kingdom on the inside. We live with vision. And the way that happens is this, is that we need words from God. We need God to speak to us because as he speaks to us, our vision gets adjusted. It gets corrected. We perceive the world properly. We perceive sin properly. We perceive the kingdom of God properly as we receive a word from the Lord. You know, it's interesting in Proverbs, my kids and I, we've been, you know, back into routine with some school going on and, and it's nice and in the morning I've been saying, okay, we're gonna go through the book of Proverbs, Eli and Isabella. And so, you know, we just attached the, the date to the chapter. So the other day was the 25th. We opened up the 25th uh, chapter of Proverbs and read through it. And it says this in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's an interesting picture. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Of course, cities in ancient times, cities of Jerusalem, all these cities that the Israelites had conquered. They were all walled cities. What's the famous one from the book of Joshua? It's Jericho, right? A walled city. And so these ancient cities were protected by a surrounding wall, and the wall had uh, points of entry open in the midst of it. Gates, they were totally controlled. It's super fascinating, actually, to go to Israel. Man, and by the way, we have a trip on the books for 2021. We're going to just attempt and organize and plan, okay? So October 21, 2021, we've got it booked. And uh, what's one of the things that's interesting is coming to the ancient ruins and seeing how the gates functioned. It wasn't just like a fence. It was like, it actually like narrowed down. It had turns in them typically to get to the gates so that if marauders and enemies and those attacking, it wasn't just like straight access to the gate of that city. These ancient cities had these gates, and not anyone or not anything was to get access into these cities. If you were to enter that, enter that city, it had to be through the gate. Now, our life, God has designed us with gates. You're like a city, a walled city, and it's not good, the Scripture says, if you don't have self-control, because if you don't have self-control, then you're like an unwalled city. Anything can get access into your life. Anything, anyone, we're the people of God. We don't want anything or anyone to have access into our life. And so this text makes me think of what are the entry points into my life? What are the entry points into your life? Well, we know this. One is the eyes, the eye gate, some people call it, or the ears, the ear gate. And we're always bombarded visually. This is, and I was just, this is where I've been stewing. Like this world... Like no generation has ever faced ever previously in the history of this world an onslaught against the eye gate. 
The enemy has stacked up his entire army against your eye gate. He said, here's the weak point, and I'm going to get access into these lives through the eyes. I'm going to teach values. I'm going to constantly message. I'm going to shape a worldview. I'm going to uh, communicate moral principles. I'm going to shape priorities of life, and I'm going to do it through the gate of the eye. But it's interesting because as we turn to the Bible, one of the things that we see the Lord always does is this, is God speaks. God is speaking. He's given us his word. Jesus is the word of God made flesh, the living word. God is always speaking. And for someone who is always speaking, what would the primary gate be? The ear. The ear. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. As I, th- I thought this, it's like the Israelites received a word from Phineas, and it fixed their vision. It fixed their sight. You know, Isaiah spoke of the graciousness of God. If we will come to him, and, and Isaiah said this, that if you will come to God who is gracious and compassionate, your ears will hear a word behind you. And God will speak. And he will say, this is the way, walk in it, and you will not turn to the right or to the left. That's in Isaiah chapter 30. That's pretty awesome. Hebrews chapter 3, the writer says this, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in the rebellion. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with him and eat, and he will eat with me. You know, I think about the Old Testament prophets. What did they say? They said this, thus saith the Lord, and they delivered a message and people's eyes were fixed. Many times in the Bible, we read that the word of the Lord came. It came like you can read about the Old Testament prophets and so many times any message that they taught will be uh, prefaced with this. The word of the Lord came to Joel. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. I think about Elijah who fled from the threat of Jezebel after he had killed the prophets of Baal and he came to Mount Horeb and he was wallowing in his own pity and the Lord came to him and said, go and stand on that. The Lord came to him, the word of the Lord, and said to him, go and stand on on that mountain before the Lord. And the scripture tells us that The Lord passed by, and there was a great and strong wind. It tore the mountains. It broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the scripture tells us the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. It's hard to imagine this, but fire all around Elijah. And the scripture says that the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire the sound of a low whisper, that gentle voice, the still small voice of the Lord. And Elijah's vision was corrected. And he went on from there. The main gate of our lives, if we're to be a city that's honoring the Lord, the main gate of our lives is to be our ears. Our ears. Now the world, the flesh, and the devil are always appealing to our eyes. 
You know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, it's going to come up on the screen here. Of course, it's just the classic example of this. The very first example of this that we see in the scripture, it says this in Genesis 3, verse 5, when, when the serpent came and tempted Eve, and Adam stood there, left his wife hanging, it says this, for God knows, this is the serpent speaking, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We know that if we were to read this whole passage, that, that Satan undermined the word of God. Did God really say? And he undermined the word, and then he made an appeal to the eyes of Eve and Adam. He says, your eyes will be opened. You'll really see that the text goes on in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Huh. It's interesting there that it says that she delighted in the desire of her eyes. And innocence was lost as they partook. Purity was lost. To the pure, all things are pure, the scripture says. Purity was lost for them. They recognized that they were naked. And they delighted in what their eyes saw. But what does the psalmist say to us? He says this, delight yourself in the Lord. <laughs> delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word of the Lord led Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint David as the next king of Israel in place of King Saul. And it says that, that as uh, Samuel went to the house of Jesse. You know that famous story in, in uh, 1 Samuel 16 that he called the sons of Jesse and the first one came and he said, wow, look at this guy. He looks like a king. And the Lord said, nope, it's not him. And they went through the list of the sons of Jesse, six of them, until finally uh, after the Lord had said, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him, uh, Samuel had to say to Jesse, is there no one else? And he said, oh, yeah, there's one other one, uh, David. He's out in the field. And, and the Lord spoke to Samuel at that point and said this in Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not, it's going to be on the screen, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's a great text, isn't it? That God looks on the heart. He doesn't see as man sees. And what I love about that is this, is that you and I need to have the vision that God has. We need to see as God sees. Men look on outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And man looks on the outside, but God perceives the heart. He perceives the, the conscience of a person. He discerns the thoughts of the heart. Just as the scripture tells us in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and it's active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing of division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts of the heart. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And when David was finally brought before Samuel, it says this, that he brought him in and he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes. That's what it says about David. Interesting. The Lord says to him, don't look, at, don't, don't look at the outside. 
but I've discerned the heart of this man. And he's ruddy, and, and they sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. I think uh, the ladies must like that description of David. I don't know. But um, ruddy and handsome, beautiful eyes. And, you know, we say this, that the eyes are the window of the soul. It's funny, you know. I, I was thinking about this. I thought, I've never heard anybody say, you have beautiful ears. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. You have beautiful ears. But it's interesting that we should have beautiful ears for the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord. David was a young man. And I think about him, and he didn't, even as a young man, he did not frame his understanding of the world by his sight. David framed his understanding of the world by his vision. By his vision. This is why his eyes were beautiful. In Hebrew, it's way more deep than just saying you have nice eyes. It's saying it was an insight into his heart. He knew who God was. His ear had been tuned to the voice of the Lord in the shepherd's field. God's voice, God's word had shaped the way that he viewed the world around him. He understood that the Lord was his shepherd. When, when he faced giants or lions or bears, when, when Saul was bearing down on him and threatening his life, or whether he was scribing psalms, it was with vision because David was a man who had his ear tuned to the voice of the Lord. When you turn and you read his story and you get to later in life in 2 Samuel, and you see what happens with him with Bathsheba, that, the big tragedy of his life where, where he blows it and enters into adultery and kills another man and sins before the Lord. The, the, the account in 2 Samuel tells us this, that, that in the midst of that, it happened late one afternoon that when David should have been off at war, he'd sent out his armies, he had not gone out to participate them. He'd, he'd, with them, he had sent Joab to lead them, and late one afternoon, he was uh, out on the rooftop of his palace, and there he saw, he saw with his eyes a woman uh, bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, and the whole thing went down with David and Bathsheba and leading to the murder of her husband, Uriah. But it's interesting that it says this, David saw with his eyes. And it's like at this point in time, I, I think about David, he's a man who's now set aside vision. A man who had vision when he stood before giants or had to face off with the lion or the bear. But he saw from the rooftop and he entered into sin and I just, I just want to remind us of this this morning that much of our life can be spent living by sight, but the Lord wants us to live with vision, to live with vision. And the king should have been off at battle. And there's a great lesson there. Church, we live in enemy-occupied territory. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not. This is not a cruise ship. The Lord has put us on a battleship and we'd love life to just be a cruise and to be all easy and fluffy and like overeat and stuff our faces and lay beside the pool. But we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. 
And we need to know our job and know our calling. We need to be salt and light. We need to maintain our position. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be keeping the focus of the church, making disciples. And maintaining position depends on keeping your vision. If you lose vision, then the world sets the course. Sight, I think about sight. It's it's things that we perceive or see. It's like outside to inside. But again, vision, the biblical idea of vision is the ability to think, ability to plan for the future, ability to think about what is coming. It, It requires imagination or wisdom. And the mission of Jesus, the mission of the gospel is what focuses us as the people of God to preach and make disciples and share the gospel. Sight, my eyes as they see this world, is, is a perception of the world that is framed, like I said, from the outside to the inside, but, but vision is a perception of the world in the other direction. Vision is the world perceived from the inside to the outside. The values of the kingdom that are in our hearts shape how we see the world. This is why Paul said to the Corinthian church, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Walk, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. So what we need always, church, is a word from God to correct our vision like happened in Joshua 22. (laughs) In fact, it's interesting. The people of God were about to turn on one another in that text. And it was a word that corrected their vision. I'm just bouncing all over the place this morning. So I just, this is what I wanted to do today. So I hope it's cool. It reminds me of Mark chapter 8 and what happens in Mark chapter 8 actually. In Mark chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus and the disciples came to the town of Bethsaida in the Galilee and some people brought to him a man who was blind and they begged Jesus to touch this man, and he took the man. It's interesting. Jesus had already cursed the city of Bethsaida, this village. He'd cursed these villages in the Galilee. He'd said, you know, if the things that were done here were done in Tyre and Sidon, these cities would have repented and come to God long ago. And so Jesus cursed those cities, and and they remain to this day. They're just ruins, Capernaum and Bethsaida and a couple others up in that area. So it's interesting that that Jesus did this for the man. He led him out of the city. Jesus has done this for you and I. He's led us out of this world. He's taken us out of this world to serve him. And then it says that when he led him out of the village, he, he spit on his eyes, it's a funny story, and laid his hands on him and he said to him, do you see anything? And it This text tells us that the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I always think this is the weirdest story. They look like trees walking around. So Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw, the text says, everything clearly. He saw everything clearly, and Jesus sent him him to his home saying, do not even enter that village. Isn't that interesting? says, do not go back to that village. The Lord had cursed it. But God, God opened his eyes. Look at, this is the call for us. We've been called out of the world. 
We're not to go back into the world, church. We live for another kingdom. And this man was brought out of Bethsaida, and Jesus spit on his eyes, touched him, and, and asked him, can you see anything? And he said, yeah, I can see. But I can't see people properly. They look like trees to me. And so Jesus touched him again, and his eyes were open. It's interesting, you know, Jesus can touch your eyes spiritually, but his work is never done in your life until you can see people like he sees people. This man is, it's interesting to me, this man could not perceive that people were any different from the rest of creation. Oh, they're just trees. They're just part of the animal kingdom. They're just part of nature. Human beings look like just another object in nature to him. They look like trees until Jesus touched him again. Jesus touched him and the text tells us that he saw everything clearly. And, you know, many, you know, we can understand loving God and, and, and that can be, on some levels, that can be a little easier for us than loving people, wouldn't you say? People can be hard to love, hard to understand, hard to see properly. But it was Jesus that touched him and corrected that vision. Church, we live in enemy-occupied territory. The Lord has placed us on a battleship, not a cruise ship. And the question for us is this, what is God calling us to in these days? What is our job? We know some things to be salt and light, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. But maintaining our position depends on our vision. And so we fix our eyes, the scripture says. Where our eyes get fixed is where? On Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 47? I'm going to wrap it up just touching down on Psalm 47. We need a word from God to correct our vision. And I love this psalm because this psalm tells us, it reminds us, the psalmist sings this. God is king over the earth. He rules. He's in control. And it says this in verse 1, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud shouts of joy, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over the whole earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose us. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. Psalmist just starts by saying this, look at God is an awesome king. We should stand in awe of him because he loves us and he has chosen us. He's made us his choice. He's a great king over the whole earth and he picked us to be part of his family. It says in verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet because our God is a triumphant king. A triumphant king, he's gone up, it says. You know, it's amazing. The scripture tells us many times that Jesus, Jesus came down, that God came down in various situations. He came down, the New Testament tells us, clothed himself in flesh, went to the cross, defeated sin and death. Jesus won the victory over the world, over the flesh, over the devil. Sin and death defeated. What a victory. And then he went up. 
He ascended into heaven. Verse 6 says this, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of as the people of God of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God for he is highly exalted. Our God church is the king of kings. He reigns over the nations. We need not fear. We need not worry. In these days, we need the word of God to be constantly correcting our vision. Because if we just live by sight, man, it's depressing these days. God is king over the whole earth. Over the whole earth, the psalmist said elsewhere, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me. Too much of our lives is spent living by sight, church. Let the word of God dwell in you richly and let Jesus fix your vision. Let him touch your eyes so you can see people properly. We are not to be those who live by sight, but to be those who live by faith. And the word of God corrects our vision. This morning, I just, I just want to urge you to this. 